Hey everyone, welcome to Vader Research Podcast. I'm your host, Matigultikin, also known as DeFi Vader on Twitter. And today I'm joined by Corey Wilson, co-founder and CEO at Mary Labs, the creator of Pegaxi, and Clay, product owner at Pegaxi. Pegaxi had a significant popularity and pulled more than $200 million in capital inflows in the first quarter of this year uh, with a relatively small venture capital investment. Guys, thanks for joining the podcast. Can you briefly introduce yourself? Looks like Hi, Corey's internet. having some incident. Yeah, so Clay, I'll go Clay, first. Go ahead. <laughs> um, so yeah, uh, my name is Clay. Um, I, I, I'm the product owner at Pegaxi. Um, I've been at Pegaxi for almost uh, a year now, just, just a month or two away from a year. Um, I started off working um, in the data and, and research team um, when I first joined uh, and, and basically moved into the product ownership role um, a couple months ago. So yeah, that, that's myself. Uh, I think I'm good. Uh, hopefully my internet doesn't screw up, but uh, of course, Corey, um, yes, one of the one of the co-founders over at, at Mira Labs. And again, as mentioned, um, we built we built Pegasi as one of our first uh, go-to-market products. Yeah. My current role is CEO. Uh, I should probably mention I started as CMO, uh, currently CEO. Yeah. Probably should mention. Yeah, Corey, what was your background? How did you end up building uh, Pegasi? Good question. Um, very odd. I guess if you look at a personal timeline, this comes out of nowhere. Um, completely random, but uh, I guess on the professional side where I started, um, I guess chasing the build is uh, back in probably about 2017, um, would have started uh, around the crypto time as well as when I started my first serious company, which was a, a customer support company. Um, that one's still running now, uh, but uh, basically, yes, just jumped on the wave of the first crypto bull run. Unfortunately, I was at the end of it. So of course I got absolutely wrecked, but that's just part of the game. And uh, yeah, from there, the um, that company um, went through the, the crypto winter and uh, survived, still going now, of course, but definitely wasn't as strong as it was during that bull run. During that time though, during the winter, uh, I did start um, Australia's largest toy gun store. So uh, that one's called Tac Toys. Um, I'm sure you guys could do the research if you wanted to. But uh, yeah, it, it revolves around something what, that we call gel blasters in Australia. And um, built that one to do about 15 to 20 million in the revenue a year. And uh, I left that one and um, do have a, another one that I uh, am part of, but I didn't found that one. Uh, but primarily then just dove straight into NFTs and um just wanted to have a look at what was happening in the market. That one came out of general interest, actually. Funny enough, um, I just saw Gary V mention one day NFTs. I think it was at the end of 2020 or mid-2020 or something. And then I went on to OpenSea and I saw F1 Delta time. And I was like, I love Formula One. I love losing money in crypto. Let's buy some of this shit. So that's basically all it was. Dove in, made a video on F1 Delta time because... Uh, they weren't very good with onboarding procedures, so I just wanted to help. Usually what you did was build a team, and uh, I wanted to help our team. And uh, so I made a video, put it on YouTube, and the co-founders uh, of Mirai Labs actually found me through that video randomly and just messaged me on Discord. They said they wanted to build a game. I was like, sounds uh, like a, a, a spam message, I guess. So I was borderline not going to reply because I didn't know who they were. But I replied anyway, entertained it and uh, found out that they were really cool guys. So um, one thing led to another. Honestly, we just started building. Um, and then that was probably early 2021. And then it was just us three for at least half that year. And then um, we started uh, recruiting some more people. And by November is when we launched um, Pegasi. Yeah. Before launching Pegasus, were there any other games that you were spending your time on or analyzing? Big, big one, of course, was going to be Axie and uh, Axie Z Run and F1 Delta Time were 
obviously pivotal, probably, I guess, the, the foundation of everything that happened back then. Um, most people had heard of them, right? Like Medicoven buying assets in F1 Delta time, probably Animoca's first big title in the space. Um, Zed Run, uh, people were wondering how they weren't gambling, but also were like, I love gambling, so I'm going to buy horses. So that one blew up. And then, of course, Axie. That, that shit just grabbed absolutely everyone, and I was obviously one of those people as well. I can't even remember how much money I lost in it, but uh, the experience that people I met was, you know, the the part that I loved the most, and then I was just analyzing that. And uh, when we started building Pegasi, of course, um, Zed Run was very popular, and also Axie was at its on its rise, basically. So um, from us, from the outside, I was like, wow, this is crazy. Everything's working. It clearly whatever they're doing clearly works. And that's where we got a lot of our inspiration from, for sure. Okay, very interesting. Um, so I'm not very familiar with Zedron, um, but I'm pretty familiar with Axie. I guess Zedron would be like a, a, a similar game, a game similar to Pegaxi, where there, it's like a horse racing game. Um, but I assume that there is more randomness involved in the game. Um, by the way, Corey, can you hear us? I think I think we you paused there. Oh, Clay, Clay, can you jump in? Maybe. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so so yeah, Z Z Run is very similar. Um, I guess we. Uh, I'm speaking on Corey's behalf when we say we probably quote unquote borrowed a lot of their aspects um, from from that game. Um, they when when they initially released though, <laughs> um, they didn't have a token, so everything was Ethereum as well. I think. I think that's similar to F1 Delta Time, but um, basically um, all of the entry fees were based on Ethereum. They they have features such as breeding, which which we also ha had as well. Um, and I don't think at the, their initial launch, I don't think they had renting, but I think that's something that they've brought in recently. Um, mm -hmm. They've been around a lot longer than us, but they they've still adopted the side scroller kind of, it's 3D, but it's still a side scroller you know, based on kind of stats and, and it's still, yeah, ba essentially an RNG kind of gambling kind of thing. Right. Um, there's, it's not really a game, but you know, it depends what you define as a game kind of thing. So yeah, yeah, that, I, I guess the question was, uh, the inspiration and for sure what the reason we did, uh, looked at Zed run and, uh, copied a lot of what they did is because the, the audience was there and it was working again. So it, it was a proven model and, and we didn't want to go out there and uh, risk doing something that was completely new um, and wasn't working. So Zed Run definitely had an audience and then actually definitely had an audience. So we just saw that there was the potential to possibly do Zed Run better um, and then obviously explore what Axie is doing. Uh, and that's kind of where the foundation was, was from. Got it. So back when, you know, Pegasia was launched in, I guess it was November and, and throughout uh, Q1, as far as I'm concerned, because I was I was still playing and I was a Pega owner, the game didn't require any like skill or any randomness yeah. element. Um, and so the randomness element was there, but it was extremely low. So like as a Pega owner, <clears throat> excuse me, I knew uh, exactly how many tokens I could make per day. Um, but, but like somehow you managed, you know, pull in really like a lot of capital and a lot of players, um, to the economy and to the game. And, uh, even though like this, this number that I mentioned, the 200 million number didn't convert into revenue, uh, it's still a very impressive number. And it, it meant that, you know, 200 million worth stable coins were converted into, you know, PGX or, or any other currency to, to read or buy, uh, the, the NFTs. Um, what do you think went right with Pegaxi? Why, why do you think Pegaxi succeed in that period while so many uh, competitors, uh, didn't? Sure. I can, I'll go first and then Corey yeah. can give his point of view. Sure, um, sure. so okay. talking about the inspiration, so obviously, uh, Axie was huge, um, last year, especially, um, and I guess we came off a bit of the, the hype of, of the Axie run. Um, we, and one, one thing that was very prominent 
very popular within Axie was the scholarship system, right? Where I was able to purchase these assets, um, you know, give give my give my scholar um, a login, and then a scholar could play for me. And so when we were talking about you know the inspiration from Z Run before, um, I guess we came in from with, with a new game, well, quote unquote game with the Z Run, which is already popular, and then we probably copied Axie's most popular you know, feature as well, which is essentially the scholarship system, um, you know, added the two kind of successful things together. Um, and all of a sudden we had this new quote unquote, you know, RNG game, which is people already like, um, plus a scholarship system, which again, was already very popular, you know, combined with coming off of the kind of bull run from the Axie hype. Um, and people just picked it up, you know, saw that it was something new, something exciting, had scholars, everyone loves scholars and, you know, have letting other people manage their assets and those kind of things. Um, and, you know, not to two hour and horn cause I, I didn't code it or anything, but the, I think the rental system was very good, um, with allowing users to use that because actually you had to, you know, create a new email and password, and then you had to give it to your scholar. But if the scholar, you know, quit, then you had to create a new password. And, uh, you, you, we've all gone through the process of when, when that was a thing. Um, so, you know, with us having like a rental system where you just put in the wallet, you rent the asset to them. Um, it just meant that we could onboard users incredibly fast. Um, you know, with the scholarship system, everyone knew how it worked. Um, and then, you know, with the 2D side scholar racing, and it wasn't rocket science to pick up. So it meant we could pick up heaps of users very quickly. So that's probably the features that would accredit to our early success at least. Oh. Did, did we just lose Clay? Got it. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, the, the you know, I guess Axie was a bit slow in developing their in-house infrastructure to help guilds manage their scholars and make the whole scholarship delegation process much easier. Um, you know, it, 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 it Basically, it was a mess, to be honest. Sourcing scholars, talking to them. Scholars had to trust the, the manager that the manager would actually pay. You know, there, there's like, obviously, there's no legal contract or something. Um, so yeah. it's all very trust-based. Whereas you have this, you know, blockchain that you can build a game on. And you can, you can basically build these smart contracts that allow you to um, delegate without trust um so so yeah that's i think the scholarship tool was a pretty big success um for for pegax and so regarding the economy you know um the the existing things were mostly uh the, the ones that we're familiar with actually right the marketplace fee and the breeding fee what else i i, I remember that you guys also tried some different things especially towards guilds um, what type of things have you experimented with and which ones worked well versus which ones uh, didn't? Yeah. Uh, sure. Also, so I, I uh, are you referring to like Clay just right Q1 now, so or sure since happened, inception? But, uh, or, or, hopefully you guys yeah. can hear me. Um, uh, since inception. <laughs> sure. Okay. S sure. You, so, um, you... whoa, whoa, whoa. I guess there's, uh, I guess works well is, um, can, can be interpreted many ways. So for example, um, when we changed from RNG stats, right. Um, I don't know if you remember, uh, you, you basically, when, when you bred two pegas together, um, the offspring was just randomly generated stats, right? So we started to change the code, um, and change it. So, you know, stats had meaning and the offspring was based on the parents and all of those kind of things. So. Um, I think you would remember, you might remember we, we, um, we wanted to encourage users to try these new stats. So we released, you know, a, a breeding event, right? Um, and this, this was wildly successful in the fact that, um, a lot of users spent a lot of viz and, and, you know, during this event, were able to burn significant amount of viz. Um, so that was successful as in regards to a sync, you know, when we were running that event. But the product and the offspring of that was, you know, uh, a large number of more pagas, 
which basically just increases the mint exponentially, right? So you, you have this one side where we're like, fantastic, we burnt so much viz that we have in our ecosystem. But on the flip side, we've just created a, a bunch more assets, which basically, you know, replace the, the, the stuff that went in, but you know, it's more on the outside, right? So that was um, one thing that uh, worked well, but also didn't. Since then, um, we also released uh, food, um, at, which, which was another one, one thing that users were complaining about is, or well, not complaining about, but they wanted some, some different additional features. And we talked about it in the white paper. So we were going to deliver it, um, was food. Um, and there was basically, you know, we, we released drop racing. And so I guess the first thing is it wasn't a sync because you didn't have to pay to enter drop racing. Um, but drop racing burnt through the assets energy, um, without having to actually mint any viz on the outside. Right. So it wasn't a sync, but it also wasn't minting when users were racing. So that was kind of the first part of the success. And then the second part of the success was, um, you, you get these keys and you get these chests, um, where in order to apply them to your Pega, um, you have to spend a viz fee. So we were kind of, um, burning viz, but also stopping the mint when users were, um, were, were getting these chests. So that was kind of the, the good part of the sync side. Um, but I guess the bad part of the sync side was, um, these stat changes were permanent. Um, they're also kind of a bit, a bit large as well. Like one chest is, you know, one stat up, right. Um, so, you know, I, I could spend a small amount of viz and, um, you know, upgrade my Pega to new stats. Um, and then I wouldn't have to breed anymore. So it's essentially making some of the other systems that were working well, um, a bit obsolete, right? So it was good on one side because we weren't creating new Pegas and we're burning some viz, but on the other side, we were kind of making another sync side, um, you know, a bit obsolete. So it's kind of a bit of, uh, introduce some new features, which work well, but then the output of that is, you know, some of these don't work well. And, and we, we always knew that permanent stat changes um, wasn't really a good idea, but, um, because as you, but with the transaction sides, because everything's on chain, it wasn't viable for us to have, you know, temporary solutions because, um, if you apply, you wouldn't know now, if you apply a food, um, to your Pega, you have to, you know, sign a transaction to approve the asset, or, you know, sign another transaction to apply the food. Um, if you can imagine doing this for a temporary solution where maybe you have to apply a food every five races or every 10 races, and you'd probably spend like, you know, hundreds of dollars of Matic, you know, every day, just trying to do these things. And, um, I'm, I'm kind of diverging from your question, but I just want to explain the reasoning behind some of these poor sync decisions. Um, um, and so, you know, we, we knew that, um, this would be a problem with this particular sync. Um, but I guess we kind of wanted to release it anyway, because, um, we're under deadlines and we're trying to get features out for the users. Otherwise we'd say, uh, we're not doing anything. Um, so I, I guess that's kind of the good syncs, some of the bad syncs, uh, why some of those decisions were made for permanent syncs versus temporary, et cetera, et cetera. Um, hopefully that answers part of that question at least. Can you lads hear me or no? Yes. Yeah. A miracle. Yeah. I'm probably going to cut out in two seconds anyway, but, uh, <laughs> just on syncs, a lot of our syncs foundationally were bad because we didn't comprehend or accept or even take note of the importance of demand because we were given demand so easily and freely in the hundreds of millions. And, uh, unfortunately we didn't acknowledge that, um, how quickly demand comes in from crypto also leaves and, uh, it can jade you and we put our hands up in a hundred percent, except that uh, we were jaded by far of how important uh, demand is when you're talking about sinks. The assumption is that these sinks will work based on continuous demand. If you don't have demand, there is no effing point in your sinks anyway, shit won't work. So that's definitely somewhere we screwed up the foundational level. Interesting. Yeah. So, so I mean, like the, the sinks options that Clay mentioned are more like, you know, inflationary sinks where either it, it does burn some, like it does get some inflow for the economy for the shorter period, but it creates more 
that sets more resources in the longer period, more inflation. And the other one is basically cannibalizing the existing breeding uh, option, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. So what, but, like, just, just on that quickly, one, obviously, uh, we, we wanted to copy or we didn't want to copy, but, um, how we worked with the stats and breeding, you know, we saw Axie is like, Axie, you, you can hate it all you want, but it's a very fun game, right? Um, especially in the way that, that breeding works and those kind of things. And we saw that, okay, you know, Axie creates fun through its breeding. And, um, so if we can make our breeding fun and, and, uh, those kind of things like Axie d did, then we can maybe stabilize a little bit, but yeah, unfortunately it creates those inflationary sinks and. That's something that I still think uh, Axie is probably going to face a problem with in the future as well. Um, so I think we're a bit um, naive in trying to copy that route, at least with, with that method of sync. Okay. I also remember you had some, I guess you had some syncs or features towards guilds, especially some social features that would um, encourage them to spend more or burn more. Can you talk about that? And was that, what did, did, did those features gave you the, the expectations that you were hoping for? Uh, I guess this is Aries, right? Clay? Yeah, probably yeah. I, uh, in, in conjunction or in, in relation to like, in order to level up, you must have earned a certain amount of pagas and added to the LP mm. and, and those yeah, I guess... things, I, I suppose. Ooh. Sorry, my internet. Um, again, the we wanted to take a lot of novel routes uh, because initially, again, we thought that potentially uh, we had the demand there to continue to, I guess, quote unquote, innovate and experiment. So this is where the ideas for the interaction with Discord um, and also Aries, the guild platform, came into play. And uh, a lot of these decisions, of course, based on our thoughts but also in collaboration with the guilds and just listening to them basically um and some good ideas that sound cool i think uh yeah easiest way to put it probably don't work but that's just that's just what it is and uh we took a lot of ideas and advice and um people wanted more more uh for example tokens in a liquidity pool um so of course we were like okay let's let's figure out a system of, we'll build an entire platform predicated on ranking up based on guilds providing liquidity in the utility token to a liquidity pool because it's never been done before and let's see what happens um we did it and people were all in absolutely uh but the chain effect of something like that is that this is real money and people attach themselves to that, those high ranks when it's, we're not dealing with little money anymore. If you want to be the top rank, you know what I mean? So, uh, and we know what li liquidity pools are like when there's no demand. So it's, it's a very complex thing where there was so many offshoots and there's so much risk. And, uh, when we're experimenting with something like that, that is, we don't have anything to like look at or, or read a playbook off. Um, unfortunately, like, simply cannot see the risks uh, because I don't even know what they are. Um, for sure, we definitely did see some risks, but again, it just comes from um, inability to, to look far enough in the future. Uh, and we tried as many models as possible. We brainstormed as much as possible. We sat there with the community. I, I look back and I'm not too sure, even though, even though I know that we did it incorrectly, I look back and I'm like, what else could we have done? at that point when we were literally every day in the community, asking them, listening to them, what they wanted, getting the data team together, questioning internally and, and just shipping a product that we thought might work. And, uh, that was basically the foundation of trying to, again, another experiment with web three, interacting with gaming, kind of pulling it out of the game and really thinking that that money game does exist. Um, and trying to keep it around and keep it thriving. So I think we released Aries not at the top or anything like that, uh, but it was still definitely, um, I guess, for the guilds who were committed to the game, it was definitely something important for them that they absolutely loved. And uh, 
for sure was an experiment that I think could have done well without the blockchain or without the tokens being attached to it as much as they were connected to a liquidity pool, which is such high risk. And just like even away from the liquidity pool as well, you know, when, when if the, the goals for RS was not just liquidity pool injection, but also, you know, owning a certain amount of Pega points, um, or a certain amount of Pegas. And, um, it's, it's just goes hand in hand before with what we talked about those inflationary assets, right? If we set this goal for a big guild to own 10,000 pagas or something like that, um, you know, initially it sounds great because we're like fantastic. They're going to burn through millions and millions of this and thousands of dollars to, um, you know, burn through our system and, and, you know, expand their stable in a sense. But, you know, once they hit that goal of 10,000 pagas or something, you kind of like crap, they have 10,000 pagas. They've, they've hit their goal. Um, they've spent all of their viz already to reach this goal. They, they don't need viz anymore. And, you know, with the, with the only sinks really being breeding, um, and, you know, maybe applying some sat foods, but that's probably a, neg a negligible, um, cost when these guilds are, are, are minting millions and millions of viz per cycle with this, you know, 10,000 pages. So, you know, initially it sounded awesome. You know, let's, let's get them to get a thousand, five thousand, ten thousand pega. But then all of a sudden we're like, oh, you know, yikes. Uh, there's a million pager in, in, in circulation now. <laughs> and that came quickly. Yeah. And I think, I think the foundation there honestly is that when we, we came into this with many wrong assumptions, wanting to build with the community, build slowly, but the ecosystem, the economy, everything just imagine being one year old and your economy has aged like a 25 year old or something like that. That's just what it felt like. And you can't have, we couldn't have the infrastructure. We couldn't have the game design. We couldn't have even the game built to where it's 25 year old to match it. It was just impossible for us to, to catch up. And we just kept coming back to that, that root cause of like, we launched with a real serious beta, like alpha, uh, and underestimated how quickly it would grow, how many people would be here before we could even get out a, a playable player controlled beta. So, yeah. Got it. So maybe if, if I summarize that, that kind of tool for those who might not be familiar with it, um, ba basically it was like a guild leaderboard ranking where guilds would be ranked based on how much capital they put in the utility token liquidity pool because that mm -hmm. is one of the problems, right? You got to find liquidity mm -hmm. providers for the utility token and the governance token since they're frequently um, traded, sold and bought if there is demand for from guilds. Um, and, and I mean, it's a very interesting social concept, I think, since these large guilds are active and present on social media as well, especially on Twitter. So it also puts this, this kind of, the social pressure, the social obligation that, you know, if they if they do drop their um, capital from the liquidity pool, if they withdraw it, they would be seen, they would be maybe shamed by by other guilds or by other players or by scholars. Um, so I think that was a really interesting concept. And on the Pega and, side, they needed yeah. Pega as well. So... The idea here was to encourage them either to breed or buy, which helps everything in general. There was just, again, you can see where we were coming from, where the community was coming from. These are obviously very basic decisions. But it's so difficult to see the result or what would happen from those decisions. But again, we built the platform because it seemed to make sense. Yeah. Can, can you hear me, Corey? Oops, sorry, bad internet. Uh, hope I, what I said at the end was that it seemed to make sense based on the community and our assumptions. Yeah, <laughs> sorry. Yeah, no problem. Uh, that makes sense. And you know, you build a lot of different infra tools, like the analytics dashboard um, that showed players' holdings, the show their, uh, the, the show the macroeconomic like mint burn data. Uh, you built the internal delegation tool yourself. Uh, the the guild management tool we just talked about, also the gover community governance you know platform. Do you see opportunities uh, at at the infra side of Web3 gaming? 
You mean based off of these tools? Based off these tools as a, you know, you ended up building the tools yourself in-house, meaning yeah. there weren't the ready tools that you can just tap into and probably took a good amount of, you know, dev time, which you could have spent on maybe improving the game or doing something else. Um, so like, you know, for, for coming, for upcoming, you know, web three game developers or entrepreneurs, you know, do you see opportunities of like building businesses or startups that, that are building these infra tools, um, to serve the upcoming web three games? Right. Understand. I think, uh, I look at this as probably from a the VC perspective or like a viable business perspective generally. And us as a game studio building web three games is unproven and risky, uh, and takes a lot of convincing and has not been done correctly yet. And these applications and companies building tools for this layer is essentially squaring the risk. So like it's not doubled, uh, it's far greater, uh, because they're dependent on a very high risk layer. So for me, I think these guys raising is uh, pretty insane. Um, I think, of course, it makes sense um, from the outside perspective to say there's going to be tooling, but it's very early uh, if you look at us, um, if you look at Axie as well and, and other games. And if you're building tools, if your entire company was based on breeding and all that type of stuff, uh, it's only been about a year and it's redundant. If you raise $10 million, you're going to have to pivot very, very quickly. That's again, high risk. And, and, and you may know that. And the VCs probably know that too. Uh, you're not getting the, the craziest of the, the VCs oh, jumping in here. But, um, again, I personally, I think it's, a probably not the wisest, um, route to go right right now uh looking at looking at the industry um but again if you're passionate i mean that's just build it why not one one of our uh lead engineers as well um cory poached him from from an axie tool um back back in the day when when they first started right he was building a free tool um basically similar to to what you were talking about vader um i i can't remember if it was a breeding tool or something like that but um he was basically getting paid in donations in slp or he's taking like 10 percent from slp or something like that but it just got to the point where the the api and the server costs and the hosting for hosting this tool was so high and because slp crashed um he wasn't making any money and he basically had to turn off the tool so like Sure, like maybe if um, you're you're receiving payment in a different method, but if you're trying to get payment through, you know, tokens in the games that you're signing up or something like that, then it's, yeah, like Corey said, it's very risky. Yeah, so actually we have three, three of our developers, well, two are active that are actually from Axie Tools, um, is Igor, who's a front end at the team, uh, Roker, many people are familiar with Roker. He was a full stack. He's not with us anymore, but also Joel, our backend lead. Um, I think Joel actually made the first public API for Ronin. Uh, so he was like working with like Max Brand, I think back in the day. But, uh, again, I just messaged him on discord. I was like, funny enough at that time, I was also trying to build a scholar tracker on the side as well, just to leverage the, the moment. But anyway, I gave up on that for obvious reasons. Um, but I wanted him, I wanted advice from him. And then we started getting talking, told him about Pegasus at one point, And he was like, let's build one thing led to another. And, uh, yeah, he's still in part of the team. I think over a year later, well over a year. Amazing. Yeah. Um, I mean, in hindsight, I think Axie should have done a bit more and developing these tools which would definitely generate them more capital. But um, I guess that was an opportunity for you guys to iterate on their, um, how would I totally. say, their slowness or their their uh, hesitance on, on the engineering side, I think. I think it's, we, we have to think about what happened back then, I guess. 
uh, you know, when a billion dollars comes through your platform, you kind of don't want to touch anything. <laughs> it's kind of like, well, I think we did it right. You know what I mean? So it's, it, I understand their perspective where it's just like, boys, we just made $5 million yesterday. What do we do? If someone made the decision to say, let's just build the game and build everything else we were doing and uh, back end stuff, let's just do that and let it run its course, then I fully respect it and I can understand where they're coming from as well. Um, I think we just took the complete polar opposite uh, and took advantage where they decided not to and, and it opened up a lot of opportunity, but that window uh, I think was very brief and that's where I consider us quite lucky to have taken advantage of that. Okay. What do you think about um, on-chain versus on off-chain? Some of your elements were on-chain. You know, some games are fully on-chain. But I'd assume that there are pros and cons of each approach, like additional development time, limited flexibility with the on-chain uh, development. Yeah, curious on your thoughts there. Mm, tough one. Uh, especially when our CTO, me and him... But heads a little bit on this. He's a he loves blockchain. You know what I mean. But uh, I also and and he wants the company be to be successful. So he has conflict internally as well. But obviously, uh, we need to make decisions based on survival and um, reality. Uh, and our launch was based on fully on chain or ninety percent on chain. Uh, after twelve months. We're at the point where we acknowledge that no one actually gives a shit. So um, we have decided uh, that likely most things will come off chain. To what degree, I'm not sure. Um, that will just take time. Uh, but we will also try to continue to innovate on the back end um, with blockchain. Uh, and that will be users basically not even knowing that they're using blockchain. That's the goal here. That's where we want to innovate um, and still be able to provide solutions. But we don't see this as, as being something that's going to, you know, change the gaming industry or anything. It's more so to, as an internal experiment to see what is the limitations. And uh, once we find those limitations, potentially um, try to expand upon them. However, yeah. Uh, maybe Clay has a different perspective for sure, and he's the PO of Pegasus. So at the end of the day, uh, I do have to listen mm. to him um, because it's his game. But uh, yeah, I, from my perspective, again, and I think I shared my write up write up with you, uh, Vader. That the reality is, um, we just need to build games that make money and uh, reduce user onboarding friction and payment friction. And unfortunately, blockchain right now uh, ruins both of them. Um, but I'll pass it on to Clay and see his perspective. Yeah, and I've had a lot of conversations with, um, you know, Steve, our CTO as well, and he said, you know, everyone cares about on-chain uh, and transparency, but as soon as you have to, you know, pay for five transactions to move your Pega to a race service into a game, <laughs> then everyone's like, this sucks, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, and, you know, uh, like, I, I totally understand that the idea about having all of the transactions on chain um, is a good idea in theory, but from for, for a game, at least, um, where you have to do so much, um, it's just, it's just not fun. Um, it's, it's not a fun experience. You know, when I think about the web three games that are fun, um, you know, God's Unchained, uh, Blankos Block Party, you know, you, you sign up, you make an account, you know, for some of them, you don't even have to link a wallet, but they're still classified as a Web3 or a cryptocurrency game, right? You know, you jump in and you start playing, you don't have to sign any transactions and stuff. Um, but, you know, the stuff that does matter, which is probably most of the marketplace transactions, you know, all of that stuff is unchained. So we, we, we took the tact of trying to make the actual game on chain. Whereas we probably should just focus on only the marketplace on chain. And I think if, you know, uh, gaming companies are, you know, listening to this and thinking about, you know, developing going forward, probably leave the game stuff on chain, uh, off chain, sorry. And then just go for the marketplace on chain. That that's probably my advice or experience from that. And I think that's what, probably what you guys are going to see from the company moving forward anyway. Um, the, 
the thing is, we have there is so much conflict based on who I speak to from like, uh, for example, I always mention it, but the CTO at Scopely, uh, even him asking me questions about blockchain, which I had to take a step back and, and wonder how someone of a, their company is valued at 5 billion. They have some of the most successful free to play games in the world. And he came to me, uh, to ask questions. It made me really recognize that like, this is way too early. And someone who is absolutely nowhere near their level uh, should not be able generally to give advice on the same industry. And uh, I just felt that there was, there was, that was a point in time where I was like, there is a big misconception here. Something is wrong and uh, we need to take a step back and have a look at really what is happening here. If even OGs, the best of the best in the gaming industry, don't even understand how this money is coming in and how we are going to make money and sustain. So, yeah, there was just so much conflict. And uh, I think moving forward, again, there's going to be a lot more experiments from other studios as well. But for us, I don't think we're going to be going balls to the walls like we did with Pegasi uh, anytime soon. Got it. What are the... I mean, I assume that the on the fully on-chain games don't solve a technical problem, a, a a big problem. What are the problems with building fully on-chain? Does it really require a lot of dev time and 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 limit the flexibility? Yeah. Um... <laughs> just yes it does require a lot of dev time so um one thing uh as well is obviously you know for, first things first cryptocurrency has gone through you know a, a big broom recently right but um something that doesn't exist a lot is you know solidity engineers or smart contract engineers right so first things first you have to obtain a smart contract engineer that's that's the first part of the the dev issue, right? Um, and when, when you do obtain one, um, it's, it's just so risky, right? You know, you, you've seen all of these exploits in regards to, you know, the, the Ronin chain hack was, you know, what, $600 million or something. And I, I know that's the, the very, very far side of the extremes, right? But you're on board a, um, smart contract engineer and, you know, you want to make a simple change to your game, but if, if something goes wrong with this smart contract, someone can exploit it and, you know, withdraw all of your funds or all of your assets or find an exploit where they can, you know, mint, you know, I, I breed a Pager and all of a sudden they're minting, you know, five Pager for one breed transaction or something like that. Right. So, uh, the, 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 the development time is not necessarily in creating the smart contract, but the development time comes from testing, um, making sure it's robust, um, as well. I think we, uh, I'm not sure in the, the full details from that, but, um, you know, we get audited as well on our smart contracts. Um, so that's another cost where you have to pay for other companies to come through, audit your smart contracts, make sure everything works. Um, but yeah, it's, it's just, you know, think of, uh, you know, development tasks that takes one day if it was off chain and you're just adding five days to make it, you know, on chain or something like that. Right. Except you also increase the risk, you know, 10, 20 fold that, yeah. More, more effort, hard to find engineers and, uh, yeah, probably not really worth it in most sense. Got it. Yeah. That, that was a great explanation. It's, it's more costly, requires more dev time. Um, it's risky because the risk I guess is, you know, it can get hacked and if it's hacked, it's, it's gonna cause a lot of loss, financial loss. Um, and when you think about, is it worth putting all this effort? What, what are the return? It's, if if you look at i guess like you talk to the users and you realize that for them it doesn't even matter um then i i definitely understand you know how, how you're how you're making this decision and and the thing is is like with these race contracts that they're signing and stuff right um the 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 actual the way the game works with the stats and and how you determine if a pega wins or lose you know it's not held within a smart contract. They're not going to be able to crawl the smart contracts and pick up bits and pieces to try and make them a better gamer. Um, all of that logic is is still in the game engine and server itself, right? So you don't even gain a benefit from that. Um, so you know, from the user perspective, there's it. 
there's there's little when it when it comes to that. Yeah. Okay. What about what are your thoughts on community led development? You mean like as in asking them or having them build for you? Oh, yeah, asking them. So communicating with them every right. now and then, showing them the options, getting their inputs. Yeah, I think a lesson we learned here is that people always know what they want. Uh, there isn't always a reason beyond uh, personal gain. And it's 10 times out of 10, they won't make the hard decision. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I, this is definitely my fault. Um, decided very, very early on that we would listen to the community um, and build with the community. And uh, more so build with the community, we basically built what the community told us to build. Um, and that's why you saw a lot of resources going to uh, the platforms and stuff like that, because that's where I thought they wanted. I was heavily involved. I was basically in there all day talking to them and just figuring out what they wanted because, and, and I mean, it's difficult to, to know if that was right or wrong, right? Because of how much money went through and we obviously generated profit, but it, I guess, oh, Sorry, I, I think I guess it relates to uh, the 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 company goals here. Are we are we did what what we did with Pegasus? Is it done, or were we actually trying to build something? Um, if what we were trying to do with Pegasus uh, is already done, then sweet, we literally aced that shit. But the reality is that was not it. And uh, looking back, um, for sure. Uh, taking 100% of advice from them is likely the wrong decision. And that's why we slowly decided to wean um, away from that and more so just take, uh, I guess, general ideas and we provided themes for them to express their ideas for people who are actually holding uh, tokens. And it gives us a, a centralized place to really audit their ideas. But um, Clay is now more, way more in the community than me, so I'll, we'll grab his perspective too. Well, I'll just speak from a technical technical point of view in regards to the community tools and allowing them to build and stuff like that. And that. Um, one of the worst problems or pro almost the number one problem that we face at the moment is bots, um, right? So when you start exposing services, whether that be, uh, you know, ABIs where they can interact with the contracts themselves directly or, or game APIs, um, then you're going to start facing automation, right? Um, and, and we, we already face that and we, we're trying to combat that every day because, uh, a user can spin up, um, a simple program to interact with the contracts and, you know, automate all of their processes. And basically I'm um, part of that ruins our economy. Um, and it has, um, no, 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 that's not the number one factor, but it is a factor that has contributed to that as far as development time as well. Um, it's not just, you know, APIs need to be created for the community to interact with. So it's not just like, uh, here's a game and, and it has APIs where community can create their own tools, right? It's almost like we have to create the building blocks for them to create their own tools as well. Um, and I guess part of that was just saying, okay, you know, in, instead of us creating the API for the community, let's just create Apollo and then Ares and Themis ourselves. Right. Um, we do have an API now that people can use, um, but again, it's limited. So we try and combat bots and stuff like that. Um, so yeah, from, from a technical point of view, community led tools are fantastic, but most people might have nefarious intentions, which is usually botting or automation and stuff like that, which is a bit tricky for us. I'd say a lot more than 50%. Uh, they say they have good intentions, but absolutely the point they see the ability to exploit um, I think their morals are slightly clouded and they just accidentally all of a sudden are botting. So, yeah. Got it. Yeah. Awesome. I mean, by the way, thanks for sharing all these learnings. Um, obviously, Pegasus has been a great experience for you guys and uh, helped improve the company's know-how 
compared to a lot of the new, you know, upcoming Web3 game studios who haven't um, faced these problems yet. And and now as as Mirror Labs, you're you're I, I assume that you're building new products. Um, what were the main learning learnings from Pegaxi, and what would be your future plans reflecting that? Yeah, great question. I think foundationally, it's going to be that uh, before you release, you need quite a an in depth game because Clay has been handed the PO role um, for Pegasi, and trying to do that and rebuild or redesign a game that is active and live is effing hard, very, very hard. And I think that's why you see some, something that happened to me uh, more actively at the moment is that I, I can really see the lessons from experienced studios where they don't talk about shit until it is almost done. <laughs> and I can see why now. Uh, it's it's basically at that point where it's like, uh, it's cool to tease and stuff like that, but really you need to have something that is uh, an experience uh, that is that you're, you're prepared to push out there heavily early on that if you bring in a million users, your game's ready for a million users. Uh, it's ready to make money. Um, that's one of the main lessons there. So, of course, Pegasi, we launched with basically uh, 1% of a game. Um, won't do that shit again. Uh, the future games are likely going to, fingers crossed, be far more developed, uh, far more tested, um, and just take more time, really, with everything and and learn from actual data uh, that the, the free-to-play industry has been able to provide us through the last 20 years or whatever. Um, just just real data, proven routes, and use that as the foundation of moving forward with that foundation experiment. Uh, but beyond that, um, other lessons, I guess, is more so just, uh, honestly, company management. Um, as you probably know, we had a, a big restructure and just managing people, managing structure, uh, how we control individual projects. Um, I got a lot of great advice from uh, the CTO over at Scopely as well. I, I, I think I owe a lot of um, my ability to hopefully restructure the company well to him because he was kind enough to just give me advice on how they do it as well. And uh, yeah, th- those are the main lessons there. And I think it's more so recognizing that um, or, or, or removing the ego and saying, like, we aren't industry leaders, we aren't uh, going to change the world overnight. Gaming isn't going to be revolutionized just by a single effing game. Uh, we need to understand this shit inside and out. Uh, we need to know the foundations. We need to be up with those big players. And when we get to that point, when we're making consistent money, let's go and experiment and have some fun. But until that point, um, we don't want to depend on luck. That's just the reality. Great answer. What are you building now? <laughs> but you don't, you don't uh, need to tell, tell the game or infer, but uh, sure. as, as, as a point as you can be without giving any confidential uh, information. The, the most resources are st- definitely still in Pegasus, of course, because the game is basically doesn't really even have a beta. Um, it's still what we shipped very, very early on, just slightly more optimized and, uh, the amount of changes that are going in, um, working with the, the, the game designers, getting new staff members, different art, optimizing, focusing on mobiles, in-app purchases. There's basically, I would imagine 12 months from now, Pegasus is like not even what you could imagine right now. But uh, on the other games, um, there's, I guess I could say the name maybe, I don't know. Uh, there's one called um, Petopia. Uh, which I am very, very excited about. Um, we have a, an amazing game designer. He's based out of China. He is Vietnamese, and he um, has a background in a, a lot of um, quite amazing uh, game studios over there that worked on free-to-play games. I think he's got almost nine years' experience based out of China, which is epic. So he's heading that one as the PO, and um, we're actively recruiting game designers for that one. Um, but again, I think I mentioned it off, off stream, but um, that one's probably at least six months away from even seeing a visual beta, probably a closed beta, like I mentioned. And uh, that one is may have some Web3 elements 
for sure, possibly NFTs, but around the economy and monetization strategy is uh, all traditional free-to-play. And then uh, I won't mention the other game um, because it's still early days and, and definitely open to change, so I'm not exactly sure the direction that's going just yet. But uh, finally, another product that we're, we're focusing on, this is more so where I was talking about still experimenting with Web3. Um, this is... There's three products in one. There's something called Mirai Bank, Mirai ID, and um, Clay. Mirai Hub. Do you remember? Mirai Hub. That's it. Uh, but it will have a different name. That's why. Um, so we'll rename that one. So essentially the foundation of that one is obviously just uh, leveraging data for monetization. We will build a publishing arm um, at some point. I know it's uh, quite cliche for gaming studios, but there is a reason, obviously, uh, because you want to collect as much data as possible and leverage that uh, for uh, more revenue. However, Mirai ID and, and uh, Mirai Bank are interesting products. And this is actually, I won't explain it now uh, because I don't want to butcher it. Um, it's way too, way above my pay grade, but uh, it's it's what of a, a lot of those, like I mentioned earlier, how you've got the, the Web3 gaming and then you've got those products on top of it. It's what a lot of these guys are raising bloody 20 million for. Um, we're just going to build it in-house uh, because Steve said he can. So I think that's, uh, I think even um, part of them are done now. We're, we're beginning to integrate some of them. So um, yeah, that that's getting there. But uh, so there's two, two and a half games and then basically three um, infrastructure products um, that the team is building as well. Mm. Yeah. I, I don't know if I missed something, so, but Clay, you can jump in. Yeah. So Vader, when, when you asked before about, there's two things, two questions you asked, right? Basically, um, the tools, when you asked about the tools, such as, you know, the Apollo and, and those kind of things and about, you didn't say we're wasting time, but, you know, wasting time or resources developing those things when we could have been working on the, the backend or infrastructure. Uh, and then the second thing you mentioned was about, you know, um, on-chain versus on-chain transactions, right? And the development effort associated with those. So hopefully this... Um, Marai Bank um, or, or whatever it gets renamed in the future. So the, the resources that were building Apollo and Ares, uh, we've shifted those resources and we're putting them into this Marai Bank, which is basically based on this more backend slash infrastructure side um, where we can take a lot of those on-chain transactions and move them to off-chain, right? Um, so it's not pretty and, and it's not... Um, you know, it's not going to be exciting or really new features. You're probably going to be playing the game the same way. Um, but hopefully this backend slash infrastructure side, this, this bank tool, um, removes the friction, um, when it comes to playing some of those things. So yeah, it, it is a new product and you, users probably won't even see it or really interact with it or know they're interacting with it. Um, but it will yeah. help make us produce better games. That's the goal essentially is yeah fix those issues, fix those Web3 frictions. And uh, again, once the product's built, if it's built well, no one will even know it exists. So there's no real point in mentioning it, but uh, it is something that we're working on. Amazing. Yeah, that that is what I think the users need. Um, they don't need to know that it's blockchain, but if, if blockchain technology is used to solve a specific problem, then that is a win-win for the industry and the user. Um, Agreed. I know we ran out of time, but do you guys have like three, four minutes? Um, awesome. Yeah, Thanks. of course. So you, Kerr, you mentioned about, um, you know, when I asked you, what would you do different you know, over, over your key learnings, you mentioned um, kind of the management slash organizational um, issues as well. Um, what were the key learnings there? And um, like, should I assume that part of um part of the the struggle was maybe managing a studio um that that is uh that is working across different countries um maybe like different cultures and just making random assumptions now so i'll, I'll leave it no, you're you're totally right um there's a, there's a lot of a lot of problems and i think we're internally honestly in the organization we deal with it every day and when it's solved I think we don't even recognize it. We're just like effing finally and we can get over it because you kind of go back to normal. Um, so it's how a normal organization should be. But there's, there was a few factors that basically contributed to 
I guess, um, mismanagement was uh, we grew way too quick. Um, shit just hit the fan, and we were like, we need effing everyone. We're going to have 800 staff next week. Let's do this shit um, without a plan because we were like, where's there's players coming in from I don't know where, and there's money coming in too. Let's make sure that we can facilitate all of that. Um, of course, when that starts shifting, uh, you take a step back and you're like, potentially we were wrong. Uh, now let's have a look at what's happening. And, uh, that's where we got to the point. Probably correct me if I'm wrong, Clay. I think it was about three or four months ago where we were kind of just like, all right, uh, shit is a little bit wild, wild west. Um, people are not certain on their job roles. People are not certain on the direction of the company. Um, what our company goals are, who's in charge, who's their leader. And that really was just a contributing factor, factor basically to the entire company restructure. So uh, it was really difficult, if I'm honest with you, um, because I had to just basically step up and, and, and acknowledge that the organization is shit right now. Uh, and it all come back to us co-founders, no matter what, it, it's on us. And uh, because we allowed this to happen and we had to let go of some of people that I loved uh, and wish could definitely still be working for us, but we just shifted direction. And uh, doing that, unfortunately, is just, I guess, being um, focused on the goal, um, making sure that the goal is, is worthy and uh, big enough to continue pursuing no matter how hard it gets. And and that's just the point that we got to. So again, we took a step back. I, I, I had to step up, restructure, ask for advice, drop my ego, speak to the boys at Scopely. And one thing that stood out to me is that the main thing that they did is treat projects as if they are companies. So each new game is structured as a new company. So their game the PO, which is Clay, is essentially the CEO of Pegasi. And then you've got you've got the company management above that and then uh, you know, um CPOs above that, of course, which is it's not exactly a CEO as you could imagine, but basically it functions like that and they take full responsibility for everything and then just that ownership of responsibility, filtering it down, having proper procedures. And I promise you this shit has taken us so long. And we're just getting to the point right now where it feels right. Uh, I think Clay could probably say that as well, where things really just feel like we have that, finally, that foundation again, where we're like, all right, things are clear, we're good, and uh, I'm grateful for that, and that's why I'm so, you know, hopeful and confident for, for what the future has to hold, and, and absolutely blessed that the people in our team have just put their hand up and accepted that shit, and just taken it in their stride, been willing to learn, and put in extra effing hours uh, because they want to see this mission succeed as well. And, um, yeah, I'm sure Clay has many other experiences being uh, in different area of the company as well. I'll pass it over to him, see if he's had any lessons as well. <clears throat> yeah, it's a bit... Uh, I know, I guess I'm, I'm more on the ground um, compared to Corey, you know, in, in with the staff and, and what they say behind his back and all of that kind of stuff, you know. Um, nah, uh, yeah, it's, um, it's, it's, yeah, it's been very confusing. Um, uh, like I know Corey admits that it's, it's, it's not ideal and maybe it's taken a bit longer than it should. Um, but I, I think we're getting on the right track now. Um, every, everyone knows what they're doing each week, every day, everyone's got a task, you know, maybe a couple, couple months ago, at least that some people might've been confused, you know, am I supposed to be working on this product or this product and those kind of things. Um, the leaders, at least the, the, the CPOs of each product, you know, all of us are in meetings every week. Um, the communication channels have opened up, um, a ton. Um, I think it's just, uh, better roles, better descriptions, um, better tasks and, and just better communication as a whole, which is helping us move forward. And, and I think we're in a good place at the moment. Awesome. Lots of lessons. Guys, thanks for sharing these. Really, really valuable. Um, because, you know, Appreciate I, I kind of see these, some similar problems with most of the 
high, like fast growing companies because like, you know, I assume the company was growing so fast. You had so much capital users and like we discussed, you had to build your own infra. You're building a game on the side. Um, it's, it's, it's a space where like there are no playbooks. So, um, you're, you're out there trying to figure out a lot of different things at the same time. You're also being very close with the community. So, you know, um, I, I remember like Corey was, Corey had to spend, you know, a significant amount of time talking to the community, understanding them. Um, so I, I, I completely understand while doing all these and, you know, hiring people and growing the company. Um, it, it is, it is pretty, you know, difficult to have a, a, um, more structured like organization, but really, really glad that you guys were sincere in sharing all these learnings, which I think will be very valuable for, um, the listeners, especially the founders out there. I hope so. And, uh, I mean, we're an open book always. If anyone ever does want to ask us questions, myself or clay from different perspectives, again, we're not going to lie to you. We're not going to beat around the bush. We just, if we can help, like other people have been willing to help us uh we would love to help you skip corners um not do the bullshit not do the mistakes that we went through and uh just join us on the journey build some cool shit awesome thanks for joining guys this was this was really fun and again thanks for your time appreciate it Legend. nice cheers thanks thanks listeners thanks for listening and see you on another episode